You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. All right, let's see um, if you can finish this biblical sentence. And you should because it was just sung over you, but uh, not by might nor by power. Yes, amen. But by my spirit says... Uh, the Lord of hosts, yeah, the Lord of hosts. That's, that's where we're going today. That, that is the truth for today. That is the, that's the heart of everything today. And, and in some ways, that truth, the theology of that verse summarizes the entire Christian life, doesn't it? Um, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Uh, we learn today, apart from the Holy Spirit, there, there just really isn't anything that's going to happen of any true good. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, he said this about this truth. He says, without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. He says, we are ships without wind. We are chariots without steeds. We are branches without sap. Without the Spirit of God, he says, we are coals without fire. So without the Holy Spirit of God, nothing, nothing is going to happen. Indeed, not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And in many ways, that is such a simple truth. God must do it. Uh, the Spirit of God must be the one to work in us. But it really is a life-changing truth. If you know it and live it, it's a life-changing truth, really unlike any other. It's also a church-changing truth. The churches that understand it's not by might, not by power. It's by the Spirit of the Lord that we see life change. It's by the Spirit of the Lord that we will see what God wants to do. What an important word that is for the church today. Uh, for the church that is drowning in pragmatism. Pragmatism is what? If it, if it works, do it. Pragmatism can so easily become all about man and what's man-made as opposed to what's God-given. To the church drowning in pragmatism, which is impacting our culture like crazy right now in Christendom, the Lord looks down and says, listen, listen, not by might nor by power, by my spirit, says the Lord. How about the church that is capitulating to culture? Now, why would the church capitulate, give in to culture? Because it wants to be liked. It wants to be liked by society, so we fit in better. But then you become anti-Jesus when you seek to do that. Jesus hasn't called us to a popularity contest. He calls us to truth, because it's the truth that sets people free. But the hardened sin, sinner's heart doesn't want to hear the truth, because at the end of the day, they want to be God. They don't want to admit there is a God. But that's not our, our job is not to say what people want to hear. Our job is to say what God has already said. So to the church that's giving into the culture because they want to be liked, God says, no, 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 not by might, nor by power, by my spirit, says the Lord. To the group of leaders in the church looking for the next gimmick or the next attraction or next program, God cuts through all that garbage, which it can be, and says, listen, no, 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 by my spirit, says the Lord. To the people seeking to soften the truth, to alter the biblical message. Why? Because they want to appeal to a larger audience. But think about what's happening in that moment. When you take this book and you start to adjust it or tear some pages out of it or skip over it, you have just begun to play God. You have just told God his word isn't sufficient. In fact, he got it wrong. He didn't write it for the 21st century. So God, we're going to give you some help and we're going to tell you what you really meant to say. That's where I step away from those people. But this is what we're doing. This is what's happening all over the church. Actually, we're God and then we'll decide what should be said and we're going to soften the message that what's happening there. That is by power. That is by strength. That is not by the spirit of the Lord. God has that message today. 
and some will not want to hear it. That's not the point. The point is, is that he said it, and God is always right. By my spirit, says the Lord. Let me bring it down from the church situation. How about to the individuals here today? Those who are today here are weary, weak, um, exhausted, fatigued. Some of you are here, and, and truth is told, feeling hopeless. I don't know if I can go on another day, Robbie, you might be saying to yourself and to the Lord. I wonder if those of us who are tempted to give up right now or, or to give in, those of us who are fighting despair, those of us who are facing what seems to be insurmountable odds, really when it comes down to it, the truth for today, I wonder those of us here who are human beings today, hopefully you fall into that category, otherwise that's just weird, all right? <laughs> But to every single person who's here right now, the word of the Lord that says to us is, listen, at the end of the day, it can't be by might, it can't be by your power, but it's only by the spirit of the Lord. Now, where are we going to go and find this text? Well, hopefully you have figured that already, but we're going to be in the book of Zechariah, chapter four. Please turn there, okay? Some of you were like, Zechariah, where's that again? It's the second last book in the Old Testament, Okay. So if you find the first book in the New, which is Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, turn left and just go back a few pages and you'll end up in the book of Zechariah. It's only a couple of pages. Malachi is a short book. And then Zechariah chapter 4 is where we're going to be, okay? I think you're going to like this text today. It's one of those ones that you might know one verse in it, but then all the others you probably have no idea what's there. And I hope to change that today by God's help. So as we're turning, Zechariah chapter 4 might take you 10 minutes or so. We're going to get some context, okay? Now let's get some background to the book of Zechariah. The book of Zechariah, its context is God's people have returned from captivity in Babylon, this occurred about 538 BC. Cyrus, the Persian king who conquered Babylon, was used of God to defeat the Babylonians, and then he allows the people of God, the people of Judah, to return to Jerusalem, and then he allows them and gives them permission to rebuild the temple. Now, if you know anything about the Jewish people and anything about the Old Testament, you know how important the temple was to God's people. It's everything. It's a, it signifies the very presence of God. So needless to say, when Cyrus says you can return to Jerusalem and you can rebuild the temple, the Jewish people are just a little bit encouraged by these events, and they got to work right away because the temple was everything to them. But now notice this. As soon as the work began to rebuild the temple, the opposition to this work began with it. The surrounding nations opposing the work of God, opposing God's people, they began immediately to oppose this work. And when you are opposed in doing the work of God, what is the temptation? The temptation is for discouragement. The temptation is for despair. The temptation is to be really down at that point. But a little bit of a spiritual timeout for some application. I can't go any further, okay? Loved ones, please understand this. Whenever God is at work in this church, whenever God is at work anywhere in the world, whenever God is at work in you, okay, I can guarantee you this, there will always be opposition. If God is truly at work in you, you will be opposed. Now, some of us have come to church today just to hear this, because some of us have thought, wait, wait, when I sign up with Jesus and I believe in him, doesn't that mean that life gets easy? 
Doesn't all my problems go away? Don't I get flooded with money in my bank account? I live any house I want. I drive the car that I always dreamed of doing and all my relationships are rosy. No one ever gets mad at me. Everyone loves me because that's what it means to follow Jesus, doesn't it? Well, not if you're reading this book, it doesn't, all right? It's amazing to me how we slip into that, though, and, we, and we're so surprised by the trial, and we're so surprised by the difficulty, and we're so surprised. What do you mean everyone doesn't love me? Jesus says, man, I read, I read today as I approach Easter too, if they hated me, they'll hate you also. Why? Because you're not of the world. The whole point of love ones, love ones. One of the greatest signs that you could be in God's will is you're being opposed right now. One of the greatest signs that you could be in God's will is that you are tempted with discouragement. I mean, that just flips it, doesn't it? Walking around in life and saying, man, why am I so discouraged? How come I'm, how come I'm feeling this way? How come I do? Well, well, this was God's people as they sought to do the work of God, immediately opposed and immediately seriously tempted with despair and discouragement because of the opposition that faced them, yet they were directly in the center of the will of God. So maybe you then, and trust me, I need, I, I need to hear this this week, and I need to hear this today. I'm just telling you, straight up, I do. The temptation towards discouragement and the reality of the opposition could very well mean I'm precisely where God wants me to be. What are we going to do? Are we going to give up then? Or are we going to understand it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, that we progress and continue on. This period for God's people in Judah, life was very hard. It was very hard. Uh, simple things were very difficult. And the progress was not what they hoped it to be, right? So the temple wasn't being built as fast as they hoped. The process of growth wasn't happening as they thought. Now, certain prophecies had been made in Scripture, and what God's people did, they took the prophecies and they read them, and either they misunderstood them and so they thought it should have happened already, or these prophecies remain to be yet fulfilled. But what that leads to is when you think something that was supposed to happen should have happened today, but today passes and that doesn't happen, what happens there? That's called unmet expectations. And unmet, by the way, this is a little biblical counseling moment and it's for free, okay? <laughs> unmet expectations is a serious recipe for discouragement, disillusion, and towards despair, Right? It's like the person who enters into marriage thinking that they'll never have a marriage problem. I've met those young people before. Like, I, I've stood there sometimes at the altar. They're getting married. I'm just like, you, you guys better get a clue quick, okay? Because the feelings you feel right now, this is all great. It's not going to stay that way forever. You know what I'm saying? Anyone married more than a day knows that to be true, right? You just do. You just do. Love is hard work, man. It's hard work. And listen, listen, listen. I can say that I love my wife, Jill, as much as ever right now. It has come with a tremendous amount of hard work and death to suffer. The whole point is, if you expect it's going to be easy, you'll be sadly mistaken and sadly disappointed. God's people had a certain expectation, and their will wasn't necessarily God's will. And that's when we're also tempted towards discouragement and despair. And that is when we need more than ever the word of the Lord to renew our minds to what is actually true again. Zechariah chapter 4. Let's read it together. Verse 1. And an angel of the Lord talked with me and came again and woke me like a man who was awakened out of his sleep. So he was startled. And he said to me, what do you see? I said, I see and behold a, a lampstand all of gold with a bowl on top of it and seven lamps on it with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on the, the top of it. Verse 3, 
And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. And I said, the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? And the angel who talked with me answered and said, do you not know what these are? I said, no, my Lord. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 7, who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone or the capstone and mid shouts of grace, grace to it. So, I'm sure many of you have many questions as we read that passage together. Well, let's try to get some answers here together as well. Let's start with verse 1, okay? Zechariah is awakened as someone who is sleeping. What does that tell us? The angel wakes him, kicks him out of his sleep. There's an urgency to what the angel is about to say. Now, we all know what it's like to be woken by an alarm, you know? You know that awful alarm sound? You know that one you see on TV a lot and stuff like that? And you're dead asleep and you wake up and you're like, whoa! what's going on, right? And then often we'll like, oh, hit the snooze button. No snooze button here in verse one, okay? Why? Message too important. There's something that needs to be seen and heard. There's a tremendous urgency right here. Zechariah, you must awaken because the people of God are discouraged, but God has a word to encourage them. I'm telling you, man, the church needs to be awakened in our day. The church needs to be awakened to this message here today from Zechariah four, mainly verse six needs to be awakened that we can't do it on our strength. It's only by the strength of the Lord. Listen, some of us here today, we need to be awakened. Some of us individually, personally, we are sleeping. We have been nodding off to sleep by the distractions and temptations of the world. And the Lord right now, he wants to speak to you through this text today and say, hey, listen, hey, listen, my son, my daughter, you cannot do this on your own. This will only be done by the Spirit of God, not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Then we come to verse 2. In verse 2, there's a vision of a lampstand, notice. This is beautiful. So there's one lampstand, but it has seven lamps. And then on each lamp holds seven lips, the text says, or a spout. Now what this means is, is that Zechariah is seeing some kind of super lamp. It has 49 sources of light. So it's a super menorah. But then notice in verse 3, something very strange occurs, which is completely foreign to any normal temple setting or vision. Two olive trees appear. Notice there's one tree on each side of the bowl, and the trees are filling the bowl with oil that then supplies the lamps. Now, for anyone who's acquainted with the Jewish temple, you would know that the most tedious task of the priest in the temple was the daily filling of the oil for the lamps and cleaning the oil and maintaining the wicks again where the oil was lit. But notice here in this vision, this is so awesome, you have self-filling lamps. They are provided with oil from the olive trees. And so you would have furthermore an especially pure oil, a beautiful oil from the trees into the bowl feeding the lamp. So this vision that Zechariah is receiving from the angel, it's becoming more and more beautiful and powerful with each word the angel says. 
Now, if you're like me right now, you're trying to picture in your mind, you're like, okay, a lampstand and seven lamps and then seven spouts on each one of those lamps and the trees. What is that? Well, here's, here's a picture of what this might have looked like. This is a simple version. I looked online this week. There's some crazy ones and stuff, but this is a simple one that we can look at together just to picture what this might have been like. The bowl on top of the lampstand and the olive trees. Some of the pictures have two massive olive trees. Because we're going to see here is they're, they're providing the oil down the pipes into the bowl, unending supply of oil to allow the light to never, ever go out. Okay, This is the vision that Zechariah is seeing, again, in chapter 4. It's a beautiful vision. It is a very special vision. Now in verses 4 and 5, see what happens there. This is where Zechariah sees the lamp, but then he asks, What are these, my Lord? And the angel responds and says, do you not know what these are? And Zechariah says, no, no, my Lord, I don't. And then verse 6 is said, okay? And then the angel, then he said to me, and now look, this is our main verse for the day. Everything kind of centers around this, verse 6. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. It's here that Zerubbabel is mentioned. Who's Zerubbabel? Zerubbabel is the civic leader in Jerusalem. He's responsible for the completion of the temple. He's overseeing it. He's leading it. Zerubbabel has an incredibly important role to see the temple rebuilt according to the plan, the work, and the word of God. But understand here, Zerubbabel's rightly um, discouraged He's facing all that opposition we were hearing about. He's uh, tempted to give up. But here is when the Lord brings encouragement. Now, isn't that so true that so often in life, the Lord will allow us to be discouraged or tempted with discouragement. He will allow us to get to places we, we just don't want to be or even think we would be at. Sometimes he lets us get right to the edge. And almost like... A, I think I'm done. I, I can't do this anymore. I, I, I give up. I, I, and he, he, he just, in his sovereignty, for reasons we can't fully understand, he lets us get right to the brink. But he's always in control. And he knows exactly what he's doing. It seems like to us, to us, at the very last moment, he reaches out, grabs us, pulls us in, and mightily encourages us in a supernatural way by the Holy Spirit of God. And lets us know again that we are loved, that we are found, that we will never be cast out, that we are his, and we have every reason in the universe to carry on in loving him and trusting him. And in many ways, this is what's happening probably to God's people and, and Zerubbabel, seeing what seemingly in human terms is too hard. But the Lord brings the encouragement. And notice the encouragement that the Lord says. He says, listen, hey, this work ahead of you, it's tough. You're going to have to work hard. But at the end of the day, it won't, be, it won't be you. It won't be your strength. It won't be your power. It'll be by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. I mean, what a, what a word for the church today. And what a simple, life-changing, church-changing truth today. Stop thinking you can do it. Stop pretending our strength is okay. It is not. Stop thinking you can be a, a mother of young children and somehow pull it off yourself. Stop thinking that you can run a business on your own strength. Are you kidding me? Stop thinking that you can change your child's life and cause them to be saved in Jesus Christ. Stop thinking that way because you just can't do it. Stop thinking we have anything to offer in and of ourselves that will actually add up to any kind of eternal life change. It's never going to happen. That is solely and completely the work of the Spirit of God. Stop thinking we can build the church. You can't build the church. 
We're in desperate need of the one who fills us, and then he does the work through us. This is why verse 6 is so important. Let's break down verse 6. Not by might. What does that mean, not by might? The work of the Lord will not be accomplished by our collective strength. The work of the Lord cannot and will not be accomplished by the strength of some human force. People of Judah, not by might. It's not going to be your force, not human strength. This is why some of us right now, our our go-to is try harder. Some of us are fix-it people. We think there's no problem we can't fix. We take things into our own hands. We, if we're not in control, actually, we're very uncomfortable. And by doing so, we become the antithesis of the truth of verse 6. We're thinking, no, no, my might, my might, I'll get it done, I'll get it done. Don't need you, God, I'll do it. I'll fix it, I'll control it, I'll solve it. You know how many times God seems to take those individuals again and they, he starts to break them down one at a time and he puts circumstances in their lives that allows them to see that at the end of the day, can't do it. They can't, and, then, and then often the most beautiful thing you'll ever see in those people, and just this has happened to me time and time and time again, you end up on the floor in a puddle of broken, beautiful mush and the Lord draws near and says, Are you ready to let me do it now? Are you ready to admit that your might won't get it done? That's what's happening here. He says, the temple will be rebuilt, but it won't be done by might. Then he says this, nor by power. So what's the difference there? Well, nor by power. This focuses on the strength now of the individual. So the group of people now, the individual, the work of the Lord will not be accomplished by cleverness. Hate to break it to you. Or by our ability The work of the Lord will not be accomplished by any one person in their own wisdom. It's not how God works. Think of what the church has resorted to in our day. A couple areas I thought of. They all start with P. That's a surprise. The church has resorted to pragmatism. Again, pragmatism is if it works, do it. Not always bad, but at the end of the day, if everything we do is pragmatic, that becomes we figured it out. We don't need you, God. Don't need the Spirit of God. It becomes about our might our cleverness, our ability, our power. Pragmatism. In the last generation, 20, 30, 40 years, this, this has taken over the church in North America and not for the good. There's pragmatism. Then, the, then there's programs. The church has resorted to programs. Not bad things, but that's all we do. Program. We need this ministry. We need to get this started. We need to offer this to people. We need to do this. We, 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 we need to get all these things going so we can be relevant and meet the needs of the people. Not bad, but again, the process of that equation often leaves out the need for the Lord himself. You become so busy with the activity, you feel, it's amazing, the church with the most programs often have so little prayer. We're, we're too busy to pray. There's an oxymoron if I've ever heard one. Kidding me? Your theology is messed up, man. Messed up. The church has resorted to pragmatism, to programs. The church has resorted to personalities. I mean, has there ever been a time where the church has been more obsessed or fascinated with certain personalities, male, female, whoever they may be? And it seems like at times we're following a man or a woman as opposed to Jesus Christ. That's not going to work out great. This can never be about a certain person. 
This has to be about Jesus Christ and him alone and by the power of his Holy Spirit. This is why the Lord looks down upon his people and he says, the work will be done, but not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, by my spirit, by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. The temple, the unfinished temple that stood before them, it would be completed, not by their effort, not by their ingenuity, not by their strength, only by the power and the working of the Holy Spirit of God. Because think about it, the Holy Spirit of God, who is like him? The same Spirit of God that hovered over creation, that brought all things into existence. The Spirit of God who opened and closed the Red Sea. The Spirit of God that breathed life into the bones as seen in Ezekiel. It's this Spirit of God that will accomplish the work. So, Zechariah, you go tell Zerubbabel, the work will be done, but it won't be him. At the end of the day, it will be by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, you may ask at this point, all right, where is all this going? It's going somewhere awesome. And I want us to go there together. Notice what God is saying overall. He's saying this, the answer to strength, the answer to discouragement, the answer to opposition, the answer to unmet expectations, the answer to fatigue, to worry, to seemingly insurmountable odds is in one source. It's the Holy Spirit of God. And with that, I have three life-changing observations about the Holy Spirit. Observation one is this. The Holy Spirit, he's inexhaustible. He's inexhaustible. Receive. Receive. We must receive from the one who never runs out of supply. Now, to me, the vision of the lampstand, the bowl, and the olive trees is just spectacular. Verses two and three bless me so much. I'm massively encouraged by this. I want you to be too. Everything in this vision is pointing to the inexhaustible supply of the Holy Spirit for God's people. Okay, Again, remember, every day the priests, making sure there's oil in the lamps, cleaning the oil, maintaining the wicks. But in the vision that Zechariah sees, that is no more. That's all gone. No priests running around trying to get oil. Why, why? Because the olive trees... The olive trees are providing an unending, inexhaustible supply of the best oil ever to fuel the lamps that they may burn forever. The light that is lit in this vision will never, ever go out, ever. Imagine how encouraged Zechariah must be feeling. Think of as he sees this vision. He's like, man, I belong to a God who is inexhaustible in strength, grace, power, and love. I am attached to a life-giving well that will never, ever run dry. I mean, just compare that as you look at the inexhaustible uh, power of the Holy Spirit of God and then compare our strength to that. Think of how temporal our strength is. I mean, are you like me? Do you, you wake up more mornings than you would care to admit and you're kind of like, you open your eyes and you're like, Really? Like, 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 this is how I feel today? Like, just even physically, you're just like, really? Like, you're almost like, wow, is this right? You know what I mean? Should I feel this bad, you know, at this point of this day? Maybe some of you jump out of bed and you spring like crazy. I don't know, I gotta talk to you after the service or something like that, all right? But the reality is just like, man, they're just like, I'm so weak. Like, just, I get so tired. You know, like, I just, like, you just, oh, you long for glory in those moments, don't you? Just, oh, man, that's going to be awesome, glorified, resurrected body, and how great that's going to be, and I'm on a tangent again. Let's get back to what we really want to talk about, right? <laughs> we have no strength, but we sometimes pretend that we do have strength. 
But when we rely on our strength, we find out so fast that we have no strength and then we fail, fail because we're operating on our flesh. Sometimes, though, if we are honest enough, we think we're really tough. Maybe we do get up and we're like, bring it on. I'm going to take on this world. And we walk around and we pretend that we can do things. But in the end, in our toughness, we will struggle and we will fail and we will find ourselves in tremendous need because we're human beings. We're not the Lord. You know, in many ways, too, just thinking we're tough. I just, the prayer for the church, the church would repent as a whole and would stop trying so hard. And stop relying or start relying on the one in dependence upon the Holy Spirit of God. Relying on the one who cannot be exhausted in strength and grace. In many ways, what we're seeing in Zechariah 4, the vision of the trees and the bowl and the lamps, we're seeing a Holy Spirit IV, intravenous. Where there's this constant supply and source that is filling the lives and the work of God through his people and it will never ever run out. That's our opportunity for this life. That in Jesus Christ, saved in him, we belong to the one who will never, ever run out. Think of the Holy Spirit since he was given at Pentecost, okay? Officially given at at Pentecost. For 2,000 or so years, the Holy Spirit working through the church, the Holy Spirit in 2,000 years has never, ever once taken a day off. Ever. No believer who's come to him has ever genuinely sought him for strength and filling. And the Holy Spirit says, you know what? I just ran out today. I just, my supplies are low. Can you come back tomorrow? Maybe next week. I'm hoping the fuel tank will show up and kind of refill my reservoirs that maybe then I can stray. That's never, ever, ever happened. No, he show up to the gas pump and says out of order or they ran. That never, ever happens to the Holy Spirit ever. So when we find ourselves in these places of desperation so we can whatever, the problem is never with him. The problem, of course, is with us. He is inexhaustible in supply. He's doing his part all the time. What's our part? Receive. We must receive. Doesn't that explain why so many believers are flailing, floundering, lukewarm, little or no fruit? Doesn't that explain it? Because we are not attached to the vine. We are not receiving from the olive trees the oil of the power, the strength, the grace, the love of the Holy Spirit. But we can and we must. And that can happen today because he never runs out. He's inexhaustible. We must receive. Secondly, the Holy Spirit is all-powerful. Perceive. So we are to receive and then perceive, all-powerful. Notice this whole passage is centered on verse 6. And what is verse 6 other than there's no power like Holy Spirit power? Notice he explicitly says here, I'm not looking for your strength. I'm not looking for your cleverness. I'm not looking for your ingenuity. No, no, no. He's looking for our dependence. Why? Because he holds all the power. So it's Palm Sunday right now. It makes me think about the Passion Week of Christ that is coming up and the events of all occurring. I was reading about uh, in the Gospels and Peter And I was reminded again, Peter, before a servant girl, the text says that, a servant girl, so in that day, like the lowest of the low in many respects, he trembles before a servant girl when she asks him, hey, don't you know Jesus? And he's like, no, 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 no. And then he denies his Savior multiple times. 
And then Peter again, he, he fails in the face of a servant goal. Then you flip the pages over the book of Acts a few, and all of a sudden at Pentecost, here's Peter over here now, and he's preaching the first sermon of the church. 3,000 people get saved that day. Peter is the leader of the church. In a couple more pages, Peter and Acts, he's preaching Christ in the temple. The religious leaders come up. They literally beat him and the apostles for preaching Christ. And Peter leaves the temple, and he's rejoicing and celebrating that he was beaten for the gospel and counted worthy to suffer in the name of Jesus Christ. You're like, whoa, wait a second. One minute, he's failing and trembling before a servant girl, and the next minute, he's rejoicing that he was beaten physically for the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he was counted worthy to suffer along with the Savior. Ah, there's a little bit of a contrast there, don't you think? A little bit of a, what's the difference? The Holy Spirit is the difference, loved ones. The Holy Spirit is the single greatest difference maker in any one person's life. D.L. Moody, spiritual hero of mine, wonderful pastor in church in Chicago, evangelist all over the world. Great, great man of God. Do you know there was a point in his life, he had the biggest church in Chicago. He had a lot of fruit coming from his life, his church. He started ministries and organizations. There was two old ladies, though, that were dedicated and insisting on praying for him. They were, I think they were in their 80s. And they were praying for D.L. Moody. And he kind of found out about this. And he was a little bit bothered by it at first. I'm like, why are you praying for me? Like, look at all the, look, look, look all the fruit. Look at all the blessing. Look what's happening. And, and they, just, they were so led by the Lord. No, there's a greater blessing still for you, young man. And he went away from this, whatever. And eventually, though, he, he kind of wrestled with it. He came back to where these ladies and talked to them. And, and he was led to kneel down and pray with them that if there really was this greater blessing and filling of God's spirit for his life and ministry, then he wanted that. And it was one day after that, he was walking down the street and he describes it as, I'll just try to paraphrase, but he says it's an experience he can't fully articulate because of how powerful and unbelievable it was. But the spirit of God met him, overcame him. And in that day, he was, he was transformed to a different man as far as of ministry. So let's say before this happened, there was some really good fruit. But after this, there was an explosion of fruit. Before this happened, there was things happening across his ministry. And after this happened, man, the Lord just unleashed it. And the saying that went about D.L. Moody from this one experience to the other was this. The message had not changed, but the messenger had changed. What's the difference? The Holy Spirit. What's the difference? It's the power of the Holy Spirit of God falling upon filling an individual, and then the explosion of fruit takes place. Then we go back to our text. Zerubbabel staring at the unfinished temple, the opposition coming against him and God's people, and he looks at it really from human eyes and says, how is this possible? How are we ever going to do this? And the Lord says, it's possible through one, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And given, given the task now that we have as the church, Remember, the Lord has entrusted us with the gospel. Go therefore make disciples, teaching them all that I have taught you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and, and the Holy Spirit. This is, this is our job. So, so if you're like me, sometimes you look around at our world right now, our nation, Canada. You look at the church, all indications dwindling. You look at us, just, you know, in many cases in the world's eyes, it's a sorry bunch of people. Hey, let's just admit, okay, I don't mean to discourage you too much, but the reality is we're not... You know, becoming more and more despised. Just a reality. You're really going to follow Jesus Christ? You're really going to stand for truth? That just truth is not tolerated anymore. You know, all these things that are happening, and really we're becoming thought of less and less as any. You see, that's why the temptation is want to be liked, right? Oh, we got to fit in. We got to fit in. That's not what Christ did, man. 
right? But anyways, the reality is we're becoming less and less popular within our, and it really, a really, in some sense, a despised group of people. And you look at that as far as the Christ, and man, do we stand a chance? Like, everything's going in the wrong direction, everything. And the darkness, and just how the government's working, and all, all going, do we stand a chance? And I think in your flesh, you're tempted to say, oh, doom and gloom, but the reality is, the answer to that question is, yeah, we stand a chance. In fact, we stand a very, 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 very good chance. Instead, in fact, our odds are, it's 100% guaranteed that we will succeed. Why? Why? Not because of us. Because who we belong to. Because who's, who's in us. The Holy Spirit is in us. I wonder, do you believe that today? Like, do you believe in the midst of our world that we cannot lose because Jesus Christ is our King and because the Holy Spirit lives in us and whatever He wants to do, He does and that the Lord is on His throne and God's not up in heaven walking around biting His nails in worry. He's not pacing around saying, oh no, man, I hope things work out. That God is perfectly at peace. And again, on His throne, reigning with his feet up right now and everything's being orchestrated precisely as he decides and as he wills and he's looking for a few good men and women who will believe and trust in him that they will use, he will use them for his purposes at this time in this world, not for their own glory, but for his. This is the opportunity right now, loved ones, but again, you gotta understand, I gotta understand who really holds the power. Do we stand a chance? Ah, uh, Yes. Doesn't feel like it sometimes. Doesn't look like it sometimes. But faith says, faith says it's guaranteed. It's guaranteed. And Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, Oh, you of little faith. Oh, of you of little faith. And when did Jesus say that? What's the context of that statement? It's when he got into the boat and he calmed the storm. The storm was raging. The storm's raging in our day. The enemy's working, the culture's disintegrating, all these things are happening, and you look around like, oh no, we're dead, we're dead, we're dead. And Jesus gets in the boat and says, oh, you have little faith. He speaks the word, everything goes still. And then his disciples are so humbled in amazement and says, who is this? Who is this man? Even the wind and the seas obey him. My favorite lines in the New Testament, it's so good, isn't it? And that's when you see, you say, well, I, I am of little faith. I belong to the one who is able to do the impossible I belong to the one who promises life will be difficult, but promises that his will will win. His will will persevere. His glory will be seen. It's time we understand the one who holds all the power. So I consider myself to be a former athlete. I stress the word former, all right? And I still like watching athletics. And sometimes I find our day a lot of pro sports where a guy, you know, Dunks a ball, scores a touchdown, whatever. It's amazing to me. These athletes now, when they, when they do something, they go like this, they go like this, they go, they flex. They're like, yeah, man, look at me. They're, they're pounding their muscles and stuff like that. And it's like, yeah, good for you, buddy. That's, that's really good. They're like, oh, look how strong I am. Look how strong I am. And I think of all the flexing going on in the sports world and just really just saying, man, I hold the strike. I'm amazing. I can do it again. And when you look at them in light of like, hey, well, you can flex the way you want to flex. But I think of when the Holy Spirit decides to flex. The Holy Spirit just goes, boom, and he flexes, and like lives are changed all over the place, right? And I think about, I went in our day too, humanity is so arrogant. Like, the man, yeah, you think you're so tough, man. You know, you, you, you are less than nothing in terms of relation to God. You, the, the, the arrogance, the pomp, the pride, like just a, just a finite, tiny speck of an individual who really will come and go just like the grass withers and fades and, and like a mist it vanishes, the Bible says. But here you are like, walking around going like, hey, let me, I'm so strong. And it's like, really? No, no, you're not so strong. No, you're not. 
You're not, you're aging, you're going to die soon, man. This life will be over in a second. It's all true, man. It's just, it's just, it's just, it's all, it's all true. But we think about it, we think we're so tough. But when the Holy Spirit comes in, man, he's like, you want to see some flexing? But he does it with all humility because he's perfect, right? But he's like, you, and he goes, boom, and then wham, revival hits. Bam, lives get changed. Bam, people are released from prison cells of death. Bam, and the church comes alive. Bam, the fire's like, bam, and the Holy Spirit just flexes because he holds all the power. And we belong to him. In fact, he lives in us as believers in Jesus Christ. And the faith meter's like, wait, it's actually moving a little bit right now. Like, you know what I mean? Like, little faith. And like, wait, wait, I belong. Yeah, this is getting sad. As it should, not by might, nor by power, by my spirit. By my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. But he must do it. All right? Now, I will admit to you a little bit of pastoral, pastoral transparency right now, okay? I would say I'm in a season right now I would describe as somewhat of spiritually frustrated. What do you mean by that? No, I'll try to explain. When you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, I'm discovering it's impossible to settle for less than that. When you have operated in the power of the Holy Spirit, when you have witnessed Him do what He when you have experienced Him and encountered Him in the fruit that he desires to bear through you or through others, when you have been in that place and you feel you have been removed from anything rather than you want to get back, you want to be where you believe life is supposed to be lived. Now, I get it that this isn't based on feelings and I get it God does different things at different times, okay? I'm just telling you though, I can't, I can't pray small prayers. Like I, I, my flesh wants to settle for six and a half out of 10, but the spirit of God within me is like, no, man, got more to do. There's a, the reason Jesus hasn't returned yet is because he's still saving lives, okay? The reason this nation is here in existence is because Jesus Christ still wants to change. So I'm kind of taking God at his word, and I keep, read, I keep reading this book. That's the problem, okay? I keep reading, uh, not by my power, by my spirit. I keep reading God will do my, I keep reading Jesus saying, you little, I keep reading that he wants to, uh, none to be, uh, die. I just keep reading these things. I'm like, okay, well, God, what do you to do with that? Okay, Lord, okay, Lord. There's too many people in our nation right now dying. There's too many people that one moment they're in eternity apart from you. I'm not okay with that because you're not okay with that. So God then, I'm praying and almost, I know God can take it, but I, start, I just start saying, God, you say, you say, come on now. Come on, Lord. Let's see some lives changed. Come on, Lord. Let's see. Let's see the power of God's spirit break out. Come on, Lord. Let's see amazing things happen. I don't think he's like, oh, you're challenging me now, I don't think that. I think he's like, yeah, yeah, come on. Come on. Let the people get stirred up. Come on. Let, let me see some passion from God's people. Let me see some anguish of faith. Let me see some calling out of what actually matters, that it's not about whether the least make the playoffs, okay? But it's more so about eternity is at stake, and people are dying, and God, we believe believe that you can save whoever you want to save, so do it and use us in the process, okay? This is what we're about right now, amen? And so I'm okay being spiritually frustrated with a deep reverence for God. I'm not him, he's God. I know that, I know that. But in sense, it's just like, God, we're still here. Do more. Do more, not for us. No, 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 I don't care what happens. Just save lives that you are glorified. Because we want to see people not die. And we want to see you. And just, you know, it's changing how I pray. I'm just praying for 
Think of individuals this coming Easter or whatever, just thinking about the person. This is not a game. This is eternity. God, we can't operate on our strength. We need your spirit. I don't want to preach in my strength. Are you kidding me? It's the worst. But you have to do it, Lord. And faith says, okay, I'm not going by feelings. Faith is I trust you. When it's hard, it's hard. And when you're feeling empowered, you're feeling empowered. But at the same time, Lord, whatever it is, I'm trusting you. That's hard. But that's what he calls us to do. When you've tasted him, you want nothing less. And so why do we pray this week? Well, because he's the one who holds all the power, not us. So of course we pray. Remember, loved ones, if we don't pray, we're telling him that we can. I don't want to be part of that group of people. I can't do anything, man. I can't do anything. We need the Lord to do it. So God, would you? So the Holy Spirit is inexhaustible. Receive. The Holy Spirit is all-powerful. Perceive. So we have receive, perceive. And there's a third word coming. And how much do you think it rhymes with receive and perceive? Any guesses what it is? Any guesses? Go ahead. What? what? Relieve. Believe. You're the only service to get it right. Good job. Believe. The Holy Spirit is this. Thirdly, unstoppable. Believe. Last service, someone said deceive. And I was like, no, that's way too, <laughs> that's way too negative. It a lot of proceed. A lot of proceed. That's not too bad. But we like believe here, okay? Believe is faith here, okay? So this is one of these texts where we all know so well verse 6, okay? But no one knows verse 7. I love when you look down to look at God's word. Verse 7 says this. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. And he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Verse 7 is a sermon in and of itself. But look here. You see what this is saying? So the unfinished temple before you, it appears to be as difficult as a great mountain. But listen, Zerubbabel. That great mountain, it will become as flat as a plain. That's so awesome, man. That's so awesome that this is here. The obstacles to the work of God that appear so great, by the Spirit of God, they become as, bam, nothing. You see that? So you see the unfinished temple. It's this massive mountain. It's so high. It's so wide. I can't possibly imagine even taking the first step. And he's like, oh, yeah, that great mountain, it'll become as flat as anything. Is our God, isn't it? It's kind of like, you know, the Red Sea, the Red Sea, we're, we're dead, we're dead. God's like, nothing. It's like Jericho, the walls are so big. Blow the trumpet, nothing. Goliath, he's going to kill us, Goliath. Just little shepherd boy, nothing. The lions, the lions, they're going to eat me, that mean Take that, nothing. Gone, gone, just nothing to God, nothing, nothing. The mountain is so big. The mountain is so wide. The mountain. God's like, nothing, nothing. It's nothing, nothing to God. It's everything to us. I love that. I love, love, he says, is there a Bible there? Who are you, O great mountain? Hey, mountain, who are you? Who are you? You're nothing to my God. Nothing. Let me ask you, what's your mountain? What's your mountain? We all got mountains. What's your mountain? You know, truth be told, you look at your mountain, you're like, no, it, it, is, it is too big. I have no idea. I, I can't even... Like, there's like a thousand steps, and I, I can't even do half of one. It's so wide. I can't imagine even, what's your mountain? I mean, there's a, there's a phrase in Scripture, maybe you want to tuck away for a, a rainy day. Who are you, O great mountain? Who are you? Who do you think you are? Have you seen my God recently? Have you met my God? My God will make that mountain into a flat plain. 
because this is what my God does. It's so awesome. It's so awesome because notice, notice it says in verse 7 too, it says, and he shall bring forward the top stone or capstone so the work will be finished. So hey, mountain, you'll be done and the top stone's gonna come. Notice what Jesus says in Matthew 17 about this mountain thing. This, I love when Old Testament combines with New Testament, you put it together and you're like, woo, it's so great. So a boy's healed and, and, and the disciples say, how come we couldn't heal? Jesus says to him, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith, like the grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Okay? So if I'm reading this verse, I'm circling this word right here as the center of this verse. Faith. You have little faith. If you have faith, and then I'm attaching faith to mustard seed, just need a bit of faith, smallest seed unknown in Jesus' day, and faith, like a mustard seed, moves mountains. And this allows us to believe that a faith that moves mountains means that God can do whatever, even the impossible. No faith, no mountain, believing in, not much of any faith, and then all of a sudden you're back to yourself with your strength and your power. And... But if you have faith, you can say to this mountain, verse 7, who are you, O great mountain? Who are you? What's your mountain? What's your mountain? And then again it says in, in, in verse 7, um, and he, Zerubbabel, shall bring forward the top stone. What's the top stone? The capstone. It's the, it's, it's, it's the final stone completing the work of the temple. And you shall bring forward, just imagine this, amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Oh, man. I'm amazed that grace shows up in this text right here. Just, it's so beautiful. God's word's awesome. So here comes Zerubbabel, and he's got the last stone of the completed temple, and all the people are surrounding him, and they're all shouting, Grace, grace to it. Why do they show grace? Because they know it's not them. They know not by might nor by power, by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So what they're shouting is, God did it, God did it. It's all the Lord. And they're cheering and they're cheering because God has used his people through the difficulty and the opposition, but by his grace, he has accomplished through them what they could never do themselves. Think about it. What ultimately is your greatest mountain? When I say, what's your mountain? Some of us are thinking finances. Some of us are thinking relationships. Some of us are thinking health. Some of us are thinking circumstances before. But wait a minute, the greatest mountain you and I will ever face is the mountain of sin that sentences us rightly to death forever. How is the mountain of sin defeated? One word, grace. By grace, you have been saved through faith. Whose grace? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He died on the cross to take our mountain of sin that whoever believes in him will not die but have everlasting life because at that moment they have believed and placed their faith as small as a mustard seed and the whole mountain of sin has gone from here and tossed into the ocean and now they live as free children of God destined for glory and now they can experience in true reality for the first time ever, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Though this work will be completed, loved ones, whether God uses us or not, I think is up to us if we want to be used. But he will use someone. And the people who see it, they will shout together in unison, grace, grace to it. Isn't this a fantastic passage? I know most of you have never been in it before, but now you're like, I should read the Old Testament more often. Amen, amen, we should, we should. Loved ones, not by might, nor by power, 
but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. Let's pray. Thank you for your word, Lord. It is so good. Thank you for the depth which we see. Thank you for the illumination your Holy Spirit provides. Thank you for the encouragement I believe is upon your people here today. And I pray, Lord, even now as we just heard, Lord, but who are you, O great mountain? I pray many of us are staring at what faces us and we will hear the words of encouragement, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. I pray that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is so beautifully upon this church and upon his people, resulting in what? Resulting in receiving from the Spirit of God, perceiving the power of God, and believing and believing that our God cannot be stopped. Yes, Lord, build our faith, strengthen us. In Jesus' name, amen.